Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Before we get started, I want to just say that halfway through the podcast, my microphone went on the fritz. Uh, you can still hear me. You can still understand me. I just sound kind of weird. Okay, on with the show. Hello. Welcome. Welcome, friend, to the Writer's Block Party podcast. Uh, I am your less experienced co-host, Prue Warren. Thankfully, I have a more experienced co-host with me. I am Meredith Bond. And last week, Prue, you wanted to, uh, you wanted, before we get started with today's topic, last week, yeah. we had Carrie Ray Barnum telling us all about Amazon ads. And you and I were just discussing what right. we did after we spoke with her. Right, right. And what I did was I went on to Amazon and looked at the results of the ads that I had run before. And, and like I said, I'm inexperienced. So these were, this was like a stab in the dark. Like I didn't know what I was doing, but now, which turned out to be quite expensive, <laughs> was not, was not successful, but you know, I've, I've often hyped publisher rocket, which I think is a really cool database to go on and look at and see what other people are doing and how other people are successful and how you can climb onto their success. Probably not the right way to market it, but um, still really interesting. And now I have my own private publisher rocket because now I know what doesn't work for me and what maybe might work for me. So I'm, I'm very inspired. I'm very psyched to try another ad. But you had a different, you had a slightly different experience. Tell me what happened after Carrie Ray spoke to us. Well, it was funny. I have read, run Amazon ads before. I did so many, many years ago when they first started. And like my first couple of ads were very successful. And I thought this is fantastic. And then they stopped working. And I have no idea why. So I thought, okay, Carrie Ray was very inspiring. So I went back into run a new ad. Um, and it immediately said, well, your billing information is out of date. Update oh. your, your credit card. So I was like, uh, okay. So I went <laughs> <laughs> over there to, to update my credit card to the billing section. And I have learned something very interesting, Tell. which is, <laughs> which is sure. that the credit cards that you have in your Amazon ads are the credit cards that are in your regular Amazon account. So if you go to amazon.com to buy something, those credit cards and, and payment options that you have set up there, that's what you see in your Amazon ads billing section. You know, I don't think I realized that. I didn't either, but I needed to update my credit card. And I couldn't, I could add a credit card, but I couldn't update one that was already there. So I contacted them and they, I said, you know, I'll email you or email me back the answer to this question. And I asked the question, how do I delete and update my credit card? And I got back 
the bot answer saying, well, this is how you add a credit card. And I wrote back saying, that's not the question I asked. I asked this. And I got back the bot answer. This is how you add a credit card. And I was like, oh, freaking really? And so I called them. There's a way, there's a contact us, you know, have them call you. And so I did that. And I spoke with a live person who said, gee, I don't know. Maybe it is on the, the credit cards on your Amazon account. Let's go. Can you go over to your regular Amazon account, make a change and see if that's reflected in your Amazon ads account? And damned oh. if it wasn't. She was a very clever woman. And so I learned something. She did too. <laughs> oh, but wait a minute. If I have a credit card that I want all my business expenses to go on and none of my personal expenses to go on, and I have a personal credit card that I don't want my business expenses to go on. Amazon's not going to let me separate those two out. I'll have to change them every time I want to buy something. No, you just have both of them stored in your regular Amazon account. You just have to make sure that you choose the correct credit card depending on where you are. Okay. Here's I have a I have a, a corollary thought, which is if you have a problem with Google or Facebook, you're screwed. At least Amazon actually has humans who will answer the phone. That is true. So Let's let us have a moment of praise for the overlord because <laughs> you can't you can't get someone to answer a question on Google and you can't get someone to answer a question on Facebook, but Amazon bless them. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Absolutely. Right. So what happened when you tried to run your ad? So when I set so I set up my ad before I updated my billing information because I was waiting for them to email me back. And I got an email from them saying your ad is in moderation. And that's the last I heard from them. Wow. How long ago? That was three days ago. Oh, that seems like a long time in the world of Amazon. Exactly. So I'm going to go in there after we finish up today and go and try and recreate this ad and see what happens. Maybe it's that they were unhappy that I didn't have my billing information And, it, and you got because of it. Yeah. Let me give you a little nugget of information. You remember we once had uh, Heather Roberts on to talk to us about marketing, and I yeah. hired her to be my marketer. I was talking to her today about how I was going to learn from the Amazon ads I ran. Uh, and she said her advice to me was, as an indie, I should cancel all ads until Christmas Day or later. She said, at this point, I mean, I, when you and I are recording this on December 3rd, it's not going to go out until like the 18th or something. So it's it's kind of hard on our other listeners. But if you're running ads in the pre-Christmas season, if you're an indie, it's just not worth it. So Heather's, Heather's suggestion, and I'm going to go with it, is I'm starting my ad on December 25th because of the people who get Kindles and decide they need to buy something right away. So I'll have my ad running. I'm going to try a week-long ad starting on December 25th. So as you're redoing your ad, take that into consideration because everything apparently now are just massive. Yeah, I completely 100% agree. Um, I have heard this before and I have experienced it. Sales drop to like nothing for the month of December because people are out buying Christmas presents and Hanukkah Mm -hmm. presents and Mm -hmm. Kwanzaa presents and whatever holiday they may celebrate. Um, And so they're not going to be spending money on books. So I don't advertise books until actually I wait until after like January 2nd. Oh, you do. After the holidays, people finally have time to calm down, 
sit down, relax with their brand new Kindle and load it up. Now, that's my theory is that people are have taken the, the week off between Christmas and New Year's. I have this great fantasy. Here's, here's why people are going to buy my book on that day. Uh, I have... I have I have bold news to share with you today. Once again, it has nothing to do with our topic. I've raised the price of my heart, my my paperback books. Ooh. I went from $9.99, which seems to me to be far too much to buy for a frivolous silly novel, to $14.99. I just inhaled deeply and did it. So you. You're worth it. Oh, Mindy Klasky said to me. If a book is priced too low, readers now assume that maybe it's not worth anything. I know. Have you considered raising the price of your ebook? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. My first what book is the price? $2.99 for the for the first in the series and then $3.99 for the other three. Those are probably good prices. I actually keep my first in series at 99 cents. Oh, you do? Yeah. And then that's sort of my loss leader. And then I keep the rest of my books at $3.99 unless they're a novella, and then they're 99 cents. Right. Good. Good. All right. That I feel I feel better about that. I should probably drop my first one to 99 cents, but I'm not brave enough to do it yet. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for allowing me to interrupt our topic of the day, which is Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies. And this is something that you have pointed me toward, but I need to have you explain what we're, what we're looking at here. Okay. So Gretchen Rubin is, I don't know what she is. She's a sociologist of some sort, but what she, she's interested in looking at people's motivation to do things and to get things done. So she started, starts off by, started off by look at looking at this by exploring whether people created um, a New Year's resolution and whether they kept it. Do you, do you have a New Year's, do you put, have you know, a New Year's it, resolution? The very first question that she had on the test that you advised I take, uh, most, of these, most of these personality tests are a little frustrating because none of those answers exactly fit me. But right. this one, she offered me one that fit me to a T, which was, I do make resolutions. I do not feel the need to do them on January 1st. That's an arbitrary date. I will make a resolution whenever the time is right. And it's not a New Year's resolution, but I make up my mind and then I do it. So I don't particularly have a New Year's resolution per se, but I do have various resolutions. Yeah. She totally fit me with that one. It's, it's very rare that one of the four options is like, ding, got it. Easy answer. Why do you? Do you make New Year's, New Year's resolutions? Don't. I don't because again, it is completely arbitrary. If uh -huh. I decide to do something, I'm just going to do it no matter what time of year it is. Love it. I love it. I love it. That's why we get along. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Good. Good. So she was looking at this and she realized that it wasn't that what it was was a set was expectations. And she defines two different types of expectations, inner expectations and outer expectations. An inner expectation, of course, is an expectation that you make for yourself. And an outer expectation is the expectation that others place on you. Right? Ah, okay. 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 She doesn't get into the expectations you put onto other people. This is all inward yep. facing. It's all this mean. is all inward facing. Yes. I Absolutely. am by far 
interesting topic so I can see why she would do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is absolutely true. You are number one. True. No question. Center of the universe. Yes. Right. Um, so if you think about these inner expectations and outer expectations, she then broke people up into these four categories, which she calls tendencies. So the first one is upholders. And upholders are people who respond well to both inner and outer expectations. Somebody places, either they or somebody outside of them places an expectation on them, they'll do it. So an upholder, if I say, if you're an upholder and I say, hey, Prue, uh, could you do this for me? You would do it. Or if you were an upholder and you said, you know, I really need to walk two miles every single day, you're going to do it because you expect that of yourself and you are going to respond well and do it. Can I interrupt you as you go along? I don't, do. I don't expect to be the ultimate, but it seems to be that anyone who is upholding outer expectations can also be viewed as a sucker, <laughs> right? Because if I say to you, I need you to walk my dog two miles every day, are you automatically going to say, oh, God, i got to walk your dog two miles every day? No, of course not. We're not complete idiots. But <laughs> if you say, I would really appreciate it and I'm in need, then we're going to say, yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. And now I think I know which category you fall into. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> okay. So the questioners is the second category. They people, they are people who respond well to inner expectations, but they question them and they frequently resist outer expectations. So if you say to me, Hey, Mayor, I need you to walk my dog. I'm going to say, go find somebody else. Mm -hmm. What, why me? Or why me? And why are you asking me to do the silly thing? Why can't you, you know, just hire somebody Okay, or good. whatever. Okay. And if I place an expectation on myself as a questioner, I'd better have a damn good reason why I need to do it. Okay. 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 So if I want to walk those two miles every day, I have to have a good reason. I know that if I walk two miles every single day, my I will maintain my weight and it's really good for me and uh, it helps with so many health issues. I'm going to do it because that's a damn good reason. Okay. Okay. An obliger is somebody who will do something for anyone but themselves. So you say, hey, Mayor, I need you to walk my dog. I'm going to say, you got it, Prue. I will walk that dog. If I own a dog and I say, I've got to walk the dog. I'm going to say, no. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So you're easily derailed if you're an obliger by your own, by your own goals. By your own goals. So if I need to walk those two miles, it's not going to happen. If you need me to do something for you, I'm on it. Okay. Okay. Sucker. Okay. Right. Sucker. And then finally, they're the rebels. They won't do anything for anyone. Not even <laughs> themselves. <laughs> And I've done enough of these personality quizzes to make me think that there's a positive side to these last two, right? Because yes. they just seem like people who are sabotaging themselves. A rebel and an obliger will act against their own best interest. Yes, they will. And I mean, I have to say that I kind of understand where where these people are coming from because I was kind of that way when I was a kid. You know, my mother would say, you'll look so pretty in a dress. And so I immediately put on my rattiest jeans. Right. 
right? Because I, I, she said, A, I had to do Z, no matter what it was. Right. So when it comes to writing and accountability, that's when these things really come into play for us. Because if you are an upholder and you know that you have a book to write, you will sit down and do it. End all, period. That's it. You are in the chair. You are typing away. Okay. If you are a questioner and you know that you need to write your book, you better have a good reason to write that book. Okay. Well, well, wait a minute. Hang on. Because it seems to me that an obliger who's upholding inner and outer expectations can sit down to write their book and then someone's going to come along and go, aren't you making dinner? And then all of a sudden you're not sitting in your chair anymore. Whereas the questioner sits down to write their book and someone comes along and goes, aren't you supposed to be making dinner? And the answer is Uber Eats is on my iPad. So it may not surprise you to learn, given my question, that I am a questioner, right? I believe in upholding my goals, but I'm going to resist someone else's outer expectations, which actually I think is a a real gift of getting older, right? An upholder is torn into two directions. Yes, you're absolutely right. So they have to balance their own expect, balance the expectations, their inner expectation of needing to get that book done and their children's expectations of getting dinner. What I've learned from this is I'm best. (laughs) 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 What did you turn out to be based on your, based on the quiz? What are you? uh? I'm also a questioner. I need a very good reason. I like to explore why I have to do something. If someone comes along and says, Mary, do this, I'm going to say no. No, absolutely not. No, forget it. Oh, okay. Give me a damn good reason why I should. All right. All right. I like that. Okay. I interrupted you. You were talking about uh, how these tendencies reflect on us as we start to write. Right. So an obliger, if they say have a book in their head that they need to write down, they're never going to get into that chair. Whereas if they have an external contract, say with a small publisher, and they have a deadline, they will do it. That expectation is there. And it's as good as done. But if they put it on themselves, forget it. The the obliger, I see, uphold outer expectations, resist inner expectations. So an obliger ought to have a traditional publishing gig, in other words. Or a book coach or a critique group or Uh some other writer friend who says, "Uh, how many words did you get written today? Right. An accountability partner. An accountability partner. They need that. They need external motivation. Excellent. That's very that's very valuable. Okay. I want to see how you finish this up because because the rebel looks like they're in trouble. The rebel could be in trouble. A rebel needs to trick themselves into doing something. So (laughs) they can say, I bet anything I cannot get. 500 words written today and they will prove themselves wrong ah i see well this must be a technique that a rebel has to be used to because for a rebel to succeed in anything these are the mind games have to play with themselves absolutely a rebel will also do if something um to prove themselves to somebody else right because they can either 
make that bet with themselves so they can they can prove it to somebody else. So, for example, when my daughter was a teenager and in high school, she needed to sit down with me at the dining table and we would both work. Each she would do her homework, I would do my writing. And she needed that external motivation to get her homework done. Well, but that I I, I think that that's probably I mean, I would not call that a rebel. I'm thinking that the value of a rebel is that so often as writers, we are confronted with a certain amount of loving skepticism that most people think, what are you, what? You're going to, you can't, all right, go ahead, honey. That's a cute idea, right? There's a certain belief that you're not going to succeed. And maybe it's our own internal belief that we're not going to succeed or maybe external but a rebel would see that as the challenge to overcome. So really, although I look at the rebel resisting inner and outer expectations, I look at that as sort of, oh my God, you teenager, you got to grow up and have some self-discipline. But really, for being a writer, especially a starting writer, wouldn't that be a tremendous and powerful motivator to prove everybody wrong? I can write a book. I can publish a book. I can market a book. So, okay, I'm kind of coming around on these tendencies that maybe for a beginner, being a rebel would be really inspirational. It could be extremely motivating. One, another thing that I recommend for rebels is read. Because if you read somebody else's book in your genre, you're going to say, I can write better than that. Oh my God, have I said that? I have, that's what did it. And I think it does it for a lot of people is to go, well, I may not be a New York Times bestselling author, but I can do better than this. So exactly. That is very powerful. That's a powerful motivator. I'm with you. Okay. All right. So as I'm looking at your list, now I see how a rebel can behave, right? I see the tools that a rebel can use in order to proceed as a, as a writer and the obliger upholding outer expectations benefits most from some kind of accountability partner. Right. Absolutely. The questioners and upholders, go back and do those again, because we went over those fairly quickly, you and I being proud of ourselves for being questioners. Are there tools that a questioner needs upholding inner expectations and resisting outer expectations? I sort of think maybe it's perfect for an indie career. It is actually. Um, Because you don't have to please anybody but yourself. Right. And so for a questioner, you decide what's best for you. So a questioner does really well with creating a ritual for themselves. So, for example, I know that I write really well in the afternoon. So because I have explored this, I have tested it, I have worked at it, I have, you know, done so many, tried writing at so many different times of the day and so in so many different places, I have thoroughly explored and examined how I write best and I know now how I do it and so I do it. I know that if I am sitting on the couch at three o'clock in the afternoon with a cup of tea by my side, I am on and I am writing. I think that's unusual. I think you're rare. I think most people have the post-lunch doldrums and things don't pick up until four or five o'clock. I think that that's remarkable in you. Well, I think it's just because 
um, if we go back to that, your favorite hypnagogic and hypnopompic. Hypnopompic, yes. <laughs> yes. Favorite. I don't remember which is which, but that time after you have woken up and right. your brain, your internal editor hasn't kicked in right. yet. Hypnopompic, the waking up Hypnopompic. state. Hypnopompic, that waking up state, that's, I'm kind of in that mode when I am writing. All of my, I'm so, t I'm tired at three o'clock. That's why I've got that cup of tea next to me. And so my, my editor is, is down for the day. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. That was, it was Grace Burroughs who told us those words, hypnopompic meaning the waking up state and hypnagogic meaning the falling asleep state when so, your inner critic is silenced. And exactly. you know, so I'm kind of in that, in that space. I don't know whether I'm falling asleep or waking up, probably falling asleep, but that's where I am. That's fascinating. We need a new word. I don't know where the pump logic come from, but you're hypno afternoonish. <laughs> that's really cool. And this is a matter of the experience of writing for long enough that you know when you are best, uh, you're best at the creative voice. Although I have to say, it, I have recently learned that it's not set in stone because for the Christmas novella that I finished a couple months ago, I needed, just because of, of scheduling, I had to work in the morning. I had to write in the morning. And I found that I was able to do so. And I found it very satisfying to have written so oh. that I could go on with the rest of my day. Oh, that is, that's a really, that's a very, that's a gorgeous moment to feel yes. satisfied with what you've done. Did you tend to write in the afternoons because your to-do list had been shortened, right? And you, okay, I've done all the things I need to get done. Now I can, now I can, now I can concentrate. What's right for me. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's sort of your, your own expectations. You need to accomplish mm -hmm. these 12 things before you can start to write or these two things or however many it is. Right. Yeah, I think and you so for me that was that was all of my external work. So, you know, formatting and, and editing. I did that first because those were external expectations put on me mm -hmm. that otherwise I would not get done. I would resist doing them. So if I did them first thing, then they were done and I could then focus on on what was important. Me. <laughs> That's cool. That's it's very it's fascinating. Um okay. So in a really broad stroke, really broad, and this is really a wide paintbrush, upholders are best in the traditional contract, questioners are best best indie, obliger are best with... Upholsters are, are also very good with indies because they'll do it no matter what. If they decide to do it, they're going to do it. But, the, but if an upholder who upholds inner and outer expectations has that duality, if two separate forces are both inspiring motivation, an editor, a publisher, as well as themselves, that must be very, very powerful. Yes, but for an indie, that external motivation could be your readers. Aha, nice. So yeah. Because you have your newsletter mailing list, you right? have a big group of readers, hopefully, you know, a thousand, couple thousand people all waiting for your next book. So you've got to write it. There's no choice. 
I've got more upholder in me than I thought because I do sort of feel a little obliged to those people. Right. Oh, it's very powerful. It's very powerful. I did not realize that I was a questioner until I took the quiz. Can you give me the web address so that anyone can take the quiz? Oh, absolutely. And what I saw was that I had to, when I took the quiz, which is only eight questions, it was pretty easy. Um, And then it said very flattering things about me when I was done. (laughs) Um, But it wanted uh, my email address. So that is one thing that you will have to surrender. If you want to take the quiz and find out what you were, you'll have to submit your email address. So just be aware of that, listener. Yes. And, and, and you can put in one of those throwaway email addresses that one uses. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, the website for the quiz is https colon slash slash quiz, Q-U-I-Z dot GretchenRubin.com. And that is spelled G-R-E-T-C-H-E-N-R-U-B-I-N. GretchenRubin.com. And of course, she has a book, which is fascinating reading, absolutely fascinating. And it's just called The Four Tendencies. um, And that can be bought any place. That's excellent. That's excellent. It's so fascinating to see the different ways that people can, um, how you identify yourself provides the tools that might make your life easier. So it's useful to take these quizzes. I was thinking thinking just this morning, but now we can divide the world into people who on a Zoom call leave their camera on and people on a Zoom call who leave their camera off, right? Which are you? And how does that affect the group you're in? <laughs> this might be more useful. I think the four tendencies are more useful. And I'm actually Gretchen Rubin is very I, I, funny. She starts off her book saying that there are two types of people. People who do not categorize people and people who categorize people into two types of people. <laughs> well i think i'm a categorizer because i'm finding these definitions to be very helpful right i'm sorry i I interrupted you no no oh i was just going to say that i took the quiz five minutes before you and i started our podcast and i was wondering if anybody had emailed me yet to tell me about myself and then theoretically sell me a book and nothing has come through yet so obviously they're not trying very hard to to sell me a book but I was wondering, I'm hoping something will come through eventually because um, most of these most of these personality um, divisions will tell you that you are really, really pure questioner or you're kind of hedging over into upholder or because there are, there's never there's never an absolute in any of these things. So um, the other one that I took when I was 25, I think I did the Myers-Briggs test and then I did it again you know, a couple months ago. And it was interesting what had changed. I had the only real difference was that I was no longer an extrovert. Now I'm an introvert. And I wonder if it's not a reaction, not only to being right, 45 years older, 35 years older, whatever, older, um, and in a very different stage of life than when I was 25, but also to having spent 18 months in my home, dealing with people on a Zoom screen. And now I sort of find that when I'm in a group, even of people that I just adore, at the end, I'm just exhausted. So I wonder if we're not not building, right? Are we building a society of introverts who are okay with the Zoom screen? I'm not, I'm all right with that. We can Zoom. (laughs) 
Okay. Interesting thought. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that COVID has changed our society dramatically in many, many ways, but one of them is how we respond to groups. And I always thought I was an introvert, but now I seem to be, I mean, I always thought I was an extrovert, but now I sort of seem to be an introvert. What is your, do you have, do you have, have I cut you off and you had thoughts on the four tendencies that we haven't covered yet? No, I don't think so. I think I, I made it through everything. Okay. Okay. We had some, we had some weirdnesses in our recording, so I'm not exactly sure how long this recording is going to be. In fact, I'm turning off my timer. Our topic for next week really has me fascinated. You and I discussed how we define success quite early on in our podcasting career. And after about a year of learning from you and trying to gain some experience myself, I really think I have a very different definition of success now than I did a year ago. So I'm really looking forward to next week's podcast. As good as this one was, I'm, I'm like, I'm ready. Let's talk about a definition of success after a year of publishing. Because I think it changes. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing your insights. <laughs> Don't bring me down. <laughs> I don't know how long this podcast is. But I think that's okay. As, Whatever it is, I think it's fine. Okay. <laughs> then I'll talk to you next week. And uh, wait, before I go, because I just want to say, because we haven't said this in a while, listener, we would love it if you would review or share. Oh, la la, share. You have other authors you know who are who are working on a career and would benefit from a little uh, stupidity. Like, I'll ask the stupid questions. You don't have to ask the stupid questions. I'll ask them. I obviously have no pride. But um, if you want to ask stupid questions, you most certainly can. And we yes. would love to hear from you. Yes. Yes. Let's talk about how people can get in touch with us. Well, the easiest way is to go to our website, which is very long. It is thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. <laughs> All one word. All one word. Or you can write to me at prue at pruewarren.com. Or me at Murray, M-E-R-R-Y, at meredithbond.com. And we would love to hear from you. We really would. Absolutely. And I will ask, I will ask, I'm, I, if you have a stupid question, like, I don't know how to word, use word, right? Or or what does indie publishing mean? If you have stupid questions, I'll ask them for you and not even say your name. Go ahead. It's fine. All the things you want to know, but we're too ashamed to ask. I'll do it for you. <laughs> okay. We love you, listener. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, Mary. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week. Thank you.